Now we're going to do something a little different here in that we will have a song after the message today rather than before it. There's a reason to our madness there. And by the way, because we do something different once does not mean that it is established a habit until Jesus returns. It's just something that is particular for today. But uh, uh, not that this would be a wrong way to do it, but it's just uh, doing things differently from time to time is a helpful thing. I want to ask you a question this morning. How would you define victory? How would you define victory? It's harder than you think. You can win and still lose. For example, uh, a person could be part of a team that wins the game and they've contributed to the winning of the game, but in the process, the person playing sustains a career-ending injury. You can win and still lose, can't you? You can think that you have won, but you've lost. For example, there are some people who will work and work and work and strive to obtain a boy or a girl's affections, and in the process of their striving to get those, that, that person's affections, they win the person's heart, and they get married, only to discover that it's horrible. <laughs> you see, you can win and still have lost. You can lose and yet win. One of the lessons of the Vietnam War was that. The North Vietnamese lost virtually every encounter they had with American forces, and yet in the process, they won by just not stopping. You can think that you have lost and yet won. Uh, one of the great lessons of history is uh, something that happened in World War I where British forces were going at, at Gallipoli and the Turkish forces were trying to stop them. And uh, I won't tell too much of this history, but the fact is that the British were trying to conquer through their navy and the Turkish forces had these forts and the Turkish forces thought, we've lost, we're all out of Bullets. They have no more bullets. They had no more mortars. They were all done. And they thought they'd lost. Meanwhile, the British and their ships said, well, we've fought and fought against these guys and we can't conquer them. And they turned around and went away. You can think that you've lost and yet you've won. So, Victory's harder to define than you think. You can win and still lose. You can think you've won and lost. You can lose and yet win. You can think you've lost and yet won. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk with you about the victory of the resurrection life that's ours. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Paul has been on a journey here in chapter 15 in discussing <clears throat> the power of the resurrection life. And we have spent three messages already in chapter 15 in describing the gospel, describing what the resurrection of the dead is, what the resurrection body is like, 
And now Paul is going to conclude his remarks by talking about the victory that is ours of the resurrection life in verses 50 through 58. It is our general habit to, this, to stand for the reading of Scripture as a way of just drawing our attention to the reading of God's Word as an act of worship. So would you stand this morning for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Please have a seat. Now, in these first couple of verses, we're going to discover that the resurrection life and body is not just for those who die. Verse 50, our bodies presently constituted, our bodies as they are right now, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not a denial of our future resurrection body. It is saying, though, that our bodies right now, as flesh and blood, cannot inherit the life to come. Do you see it in verse 50? I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The reason is inherent in our present bodies. Notice what our bodies are. They are, end of verse 50, perishable. They have a shelf life. On every one of us is stamped, not physically, but on every one of us is stamped an expiration date. (laughs) Right? We all got an expiration date on us. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable kingdom of God. But look at verse 51. Behold, he's saying, look, I got some interesting news for you here. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Paul is saying not all of us who are believers in Jesus, not every believer in Jesus is going to die, but all of us will receive resurrection bodies. He calls this a mystery, which means something that is up until now unknown, but is now revealed. Not all believers are going to die. Some will live to see the resurrection of the dead. Not 
all will die, but all who are in Christ, all who are believers in Jesus, will be changed. We will be transformed with bodies for eternal life. Notice verse 52. This happens in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This phrase, at the last trumpet, uh, the word trumpet is used in the Bible for a rallying. Now, there's all kinds of trumpets at the last days, um, and I think what Paul is trying to do is give us a comprehensive picture of what this last days is going to be like, and I want to take you on a little journey through some Old Testament scriptures that are related to these trumpets sounding to give you a sense of what these last days are going to be like. One of them is Jeremiah 51:27, where we read, set up a standard on the earth, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for war against her, summon her against the kingdoms, Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz, appoint a marshal against her, bring up horses like bristling locusts. This is a description of an end time battle. The end of Babylon is a world system. It's a, a harbinger, a, a sign for the end of world government. Or Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. This idea, the day of the Lord. Now, there's near fulfillments and far fulfillments of these Old Testament texts, but the point of the far fulfillment is that this ending that has a trumpet associated with it also is a time of foreboding, a time of judgment, a judgment on evil. There is coming a time, dear ones, when evil will be completely defeated. Nobody says amen to that. You ready to say amen? Evil will be completely defeated. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Then Zechariah chapter 9. Then the Lord will appear over them and His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them. They'll devour and tread down the sling stones. They'll drink and roar as if drunk with wine. Be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord God will save them as the flock of His people. For like the jewels of a crown, God's people will shine on His land. For how great is His goodness and how great His beauty So not only is it a judgment on evil, it is a raising up to glorification of the people of God, and we will say, how great is His goodness, how great is His beauty. Then Isaiah 27, verse 13, 
And in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. There'll be a great gathering of worship that will happen in that last day. And then one last one that comes from the New Testament, Revelation 11, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, listen, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Here we have it all, don't we? We've got the judgment on evil and the glorification of God's people, and I am so glad that in those verses it says that there is a rewarding of God's servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear God's name, notice, both small and great. It doesn't matter that you're not like one of the great famous Bible characters. It doesn't matter that we're well-known among the world as a great Christian. The small and the great who are of God's people will together worship the Lord forever. What a thrill. So, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, much of what you will read here at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, George Friedrich Handel put in his Messiah. And this week, I'm sure I annoyed our church staff by turning up at loud volume many of these songs, you know, the trumpet shall sound, you know, and I won't do it justice, will I? The Lord shall descend, be raised incorruptible. And then the, you know, this, the, these great bases, you know, and we shall be changed. But think of it. Think of it. The trumpet will sound. The dead raised imperishable, incorruptible, and we, all of us, whether we're alive and remain when that happens, or whether we have been dead for thousands of years, we will all be changed with resurrection bodies like Jesus' resurrection body, and death and evil will be no more, and every tear wiped from our eyes, and we will be the object of our good God, our powerful God's affections, and we will worship
The resurrection life and body is not just for those who die. Now, verses 53 to 57, the victory of our resurrection life is certain. It's certain. You can take it to the bank. You shouldn't have any doubts about this. This is going to happen. Verse 53, for this perishable body, notice the word, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. It's a must. It's a certainty. It is something that God will do. Now, our bodies right now have two problems. One is that they're perishable, right? That is, they fall apart. Uh, Bad news for you, you're not getting better and better, right? If you were to look at yourself on the cellular level from the time you're born, you're starting to corrupt, now, are there moments of minor improvement? Oh, yeah. But the fact is, you're dying. <laughs> Our mortal bodies are perishable. They are also mortal. What that means is they won't live forever. They're not designed for that. And so, now what we have is this victory of our resurrection life being certain that the perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. And I love the illustration Paul gave last week of a seed. Our bodies right now are like a seed, and our, our resurrection bodies that we will have one day will be like the full-grown plant, the fully mature plant. What a beautiful picture. Death, death will be finally defeated. Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. When that happens, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And Paul is actually forming a quotation here from Isaiah 25, 8, which we read at the beginning of our service. But in, Psalm, or in Isaiah 25, 8, it, Isaiah writes it this way. He will swallow up death forever. Paul writes it, death is swallowed up in victory. You might not think that that's a big change, but the slight change in wording gives us a highlight here. Instead of saying he will swallow up death forever, he says death is swallowed up in victory. And so it's not just a permanent thing, it is a victorious thing that Paul wants us to focus on. The victory to highlight that this world as we know it, this life as we know it, this body as we have it, is going to be, as it were, on a screen, just like a computer screen, and all of a sudden it's going to fade to black, and two words will show up, game over. Game over. That world is done. It's over. And there's a new life to come. Death's pain, look at verse 55, is removed. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's a rhetorical question to say there is no victory anymore to death. There is no sting anymore to death. And he's actually Again, using Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, but if you were to look at that verse in Hosea 13, you will find out that it's happening in a judgment text where God, through the prophet Hosea, is pouring out a judgment on Israel for her sins, 
And it's actually saying something like this, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? And the answer is no, that in that moment where Israel was being rebellious against the Lord, the prophet is saying, there's no remedy for you. And Paul turns it around and he's saying, in Christ, this prophecy in that moment that was judgment for Israel is now glory for God's people and there is no sting to death. There is no victory for death. It's done forever, never to be faced again. Now, we know that Paul has seen the risen Christ, so although he lives in the now as he's writing these words, he's living in our world with all of its pain and death, Paul knows that death is powerless. Have you ever wondered why it is that the Apostle Paul could live with such boldness and courage? I think one of the big reasons why was that he really embraced this knowledge that death is, has no power over him. He's got no, death's got no power over him. And that's what enabled him to live with such boldness and courage. Notice verse 56, the sting of death is sin. Now, this sting could be of a bee or of a of a uh, scorpion or something like that. But the point is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember God had told Adam, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate of the fruit, and then there was death upon death upon death upon death. One of the reasons why you have all those genealogies in the Bible, you ever wonder, you know, why do we have them? One of the reasons, there's others, but one of the reasons is simply to say, people live, and they die. They die. And that is the curse of sin. The sting of death is sin. So we see, for example, in Genesis, this beautiful book that's, the word Genesis means beginnings. The book of beginnings ends with this verse. So Joseph died and they embalmed him, and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. That's how the book of beginnings ends. The sting of sin, of death, is sin. Now, Paul continues in verse 56, the power of sin is the law. The power of the stinger is the law. The fact is that when we look at God's righteous decrees, His statutes, his ways for how we ought to conduct ourselves, and we look at that and we see ourselves, we see that we don't measure up. And, and so we find ourselves, the more we know, the more humble we should become because we see the power of sin in our lives. And we, we, we are, in fact, apart from Christ's power, powerless over defeating sin. The power of of the stinger of death is the law. And so, we look at that and we go, I guess there's no hope, right? Oh, yes, there is. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice several things. First, there is an answer, and the answer isn't by trying harder. 
doesn't say, oh, you get a victory over death, you lose the sting of death by being a good person or by trying hard or by putting these principles into practice in your marriage or in your family. It's not about that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory is a gift. It's a gift from God to us. He gives us the victory, not something we earn or deserve. And how does He give it to us? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Learn all four of those words. The only way we get the victory as a gift is that we make Jesus ours. Is Jesus yours today? Have you trusted Him to forgive you of your sin? That's the only way you will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the only way you will have that powerful, wonderful, victorious resurrection life with God forever is if you make Jesus Christ yours. And the way you do that is by faith. You say, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me of my sin by what you did at the cross. So it starts with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be yours. Then he's got to be Lord. That means he's God. He's established the rules. And you're going to say, I'm trusting you, Jesus, as my God. And then you're trusting him as Jesus. God told Joseph and Mary to call his name Jesus because the word Jesus means Savior, Deliverer, because he will save his people from their sins. You're trusting Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And then the word Christ means exalted, anointed one, the King, the Messiah, that he's the King of your life. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. It's a gift. How? Through our personal faith. Lord, he's God. Jesus, he's your Savior. Christ, he's your King. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we come to the last verse. The victory of the resurrection life demands a reordering of our priorities. Look at what it says. He begins not with words of chastisement, not with words of criticism, but with words of love and care. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and the word brothers means brothers and sisters, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters. He's wanting to encourage He's wanting to lift you up. He's wanting to thrill you with some good news of how you can apply this text to your life. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Let nothing move you from these truths. You know, convicting questions for me this week as I thought about this is what is it that gets me down? There's so many things that do. I thought, oh, Scott, let nothing move you. Be steadfast, immovable. What creates doubt in your heart? Oh, shed yourself of doubt and trust the certainty of God's word, friends. What is it that brings defeat to you? Allow none of those things to move you because of the resurrection life to come. So let nothing move you. Second line of the verse, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always give yourself 
fully to the work of the Lord. So, first of all, that means that whatever we do as a Christian ought to be an act of worship. That's where our church focus comes into place, seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ. That is, everything that we do should be an act of worship to God. Everything. It's all to say, God, I worship and adore and hunger for you. Always give yourselves fully or always abounding in the work of the Lord. So it's whatever we do as a Christian. But notice it says always abounding in the work of the Lord. So I think that there's a specific application here in what we do to advance the gospel. What we do to advance the gospel. So that we're always about thinking, how can I use my life to advance the gospel? I think about this from time to time. I don't know whether or not there's going to be a time where when we are in glory, when we will reflect upon our present life and look back on it and have regrets. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. Um, there's some evidence that suggests there, w- there might be. But if there is a time of reflection when we are in glory where we'll look back on the life we're living right now with some degree of regret, I think we will have this line on the front of our minds. I wish I had given him more. I wish I had given him more. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. So, specifically, whatever it is you do to advance the gospel, give yourself fully to it. From the smallest thing, like giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, to the fact of going to people and places where the gospel is not known, whether it's to your own family and friends and neighbors or far across the the world from here, to tell people about Jesus, whatever it is we do, we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord including the own use of our spiritual gifts and talents here in our fellowship as a, as a church. Always give yourself fully to the work of the, God, of, of the Lord, whether it is whatever we do as a Christian or specifically what it is we do to advance the gospel. So, let nothing move you. Always abound in the work of the Lord. And here's the reason, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord right here and right now is in the cause of victory. The victory is certain. So, keep sharing your faith in Jesus Christ. Christ's victory over death guarantees that we too shall conquer. I, I, I think about this from time to time in, in the fact that there may be some of us, there may be some of us here who have shared their faith for years and have never personally seen someone come to faith in Christ. Don't fret or think that your labor is in vain. Your labor, notice the phrase, is not in vain. Whatever you do for the cause of Christ. In glory, we will look at everything that everybody has done and we'll go, whoa, it had way more impact than we ever dreamt. Your labor is not in vain. 
Now, as we conclude, I want to ask you, have you made this a part of your active thinking in your Christian life, that the victory is certain, that the resurrection body you will have will be like the Lord Jesus, and you will be with Him forever. Make that a part of your conscious thoughts every day, and it will transform how you live. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, wrote another song that we're going to sing right now. I'd like to ask the worship team if they'd come up right now. It's called Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. It's a song that describes the blood of Jesus and how He has secured our victory. Some of the words go like this, let us love and sing and wonder, let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder, He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. You know, the, the power of sin is the law, Jesus Christ hushed the law's loud thunder against us. Let us love the Lord who bought us, pitied us when enemies, called us by His grace and taught us, gave us ears and gave us eyes to see it. He has washed us with His blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us sing through fierce, or let us sing though fierce temptation. Some of you are tempted in fierce ways and are wrestling in a battle right now. Let us sing, though fierce temptation threatens hard to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, holds in view. He's holding it out for us. Holds in view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with his blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder, grace and justice join and point to mercy's store when through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with His blood has secured our way to God. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. The people have died in the Lord, and they're waiting their resurrection bodies, and they're up there right now. Here, right here on earth, they trusted Him before us, and now their praises fill the sky. And what are those praises? The praises they're singing right now is to Jesus, you have washed us with your blood. You art worthy, Lamb of God.